What is good, Salt Company Ankeny? It is, this is my first time experiencing a Salt Company that is not in Ames. So this is a, this is a big treat. Go Bears. I, like Joe said, I hail all the way from um, Ames, which is just right up the road. My wife, Jess, is here. She's in the back. Everybody say, hey, Jess. Um, so yeah, we're, we're excited to be here with you guys tonight. Originally, so I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, East Coast, i.e. Beast Coast. Amen? <laughs> I, heard, I heard I could just say that or go bears and you guys just will, will go crazy. So, okay. So if this goes south, I'm just going to start chanting that and then we'll, we'll be good. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. So originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia, born and raised, went to college in Central Virginia. That's where I met Jess and then uh, was a youth pastor out in New York, Rochester area. I also recently discovered a new and fun way to describe where Rochester is by making my hand like the state of New York, which is cool. If you ever moved to New York, this is a good tool to use. So you've got Buffalo here, Lake Ontario, Buffalo here, um, Rochester here, Syracuse, shout out to Radiant Church coming 2022, um, Albany and then New York City. So we were like right here. So Rochester's like home of a ton of snow, a lot of Buffalo Bills fans. So that was a tough, uh, tough loss for, for the Bills fans, but we'll see if it, um, if it happens next year. Maybe they'll win a Super Bowl in our lifetime. Who knows? Uh, but nonetheless, for real, I'm excited to be here, excited to get to know you guys a little bit. I don't know if um, you know this, but back in 2019, uh, we had an intern show up to our church, Northridge Church, and that intern's name was Joe Nealis. And so we actually got to, to meet each other. Um, wow, great. Um, it's gonna be a great night with you guys, sweet. Uh, but we actually got to, to rub shoulders and meet each other back in the day. So it's incredible. Uh, it was actually crazy. Like Joe texted me, I don't know, probably this summer sometime. I was like, dude, are you moving to Ames? That's wild. Um, and I was like, yes. And we found out that it was like 30 minutes away. And so the fact that we got to get together uh, just this week, uh, have the opportunity to come down here and preach is super, super exciting. Uh, and one of the things that I think is, um, as I was, I met with Joe two days ago, to kind of talk through details. Uh, And something that's significant, I think at at a place like this and just a thing like Salt Company in general is it takes a lot of love and a lot of energy and effort to continuously, um, yeah, seek to see the gospel made known uh, on a campus in uh, your lives. And when I'm just hearing Joe talk, like the dude's just a shepherd. He, He genuinely, loves you guys, and you, you, I'm guessing you come and you hear him talk from stage, and oftentimes you might think like, oh, that he's just supposed to do that, uh, but it, he really bleeds blue. <laughs> he bleeds the bears, and he bleeds you guys, and so um, him and the whole team, as I've gotten to meet the team tonight, uh, they genuinely love you. I think of that, um, it's, I think it's First Thessalonians, where Paul is like talk, you know, writing a, a letter to some of his close friends at the church of Thessalonica, it is like, not only were we thankful to share uh, the gospel of God with you, but we were thankful to share our lives as well. And just as I got to, to talk with your SALT director, that's his heart. Uh, and he's pumped to see what God's gonna do here in, in Ankeny. 
But hey, before we jump into tonight's topic, I'm gonna pray for us. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for tonight's opportunity to open your word and uh, Lord, to respond to it. So open the eyes of our heart that we might be able to see you more clearly and be changed by you. It's in your name we pray, amen. amen. Random question for Central Iowa. Has anybody ever been to Italy before? Just curious, one person? What'd you say? Italy, Texas? Is there an Italy, Texas? Is that what you said? That's Iowa. That's Iowa. That's good. That's what I was looking for. That's the precise Italy that I was actually asking for. Because I was there eating. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, uh, Italy, the country. Even if you haven't been there, I'm sure you've heard of the structure, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? Anybody heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Uh, even if you haven't um, seen it or heard of it before, you can kind of imagine what this is. Basically, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is a massive structure that is literally leaning. And while it's a historic landmark sight to see, I don't know about you, but if you've laid your eyes on a photo of the Leaning Tower of Pisa or um, you know, if you've ever heard about it, you at least I kind of wonder, like, who signed off on that job, Right? <laughs> Or who showed up to work and fell asleep or who didn't show up to work? Like, how do you build something that massive and literally have that big of an oversight that for the rest of its existence, it wasn't intended to be the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but for the rest of its, its existence, we've known it as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And the problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa is not actually in the structure itself. It's not in the marble or the stone or you know, whatever it's made of. The problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa is in the foundation. When they built uh, Pisa, they built it on a miry, sandy, weak ground. It was basically like, kind of like swampland. So you have this 185 foot tall building weighing 29 million pounds sitting on just 10 feet of swampland foundation. One guy said it was a miracle that it hasn't already collapsed in the time that it's been in existence. And as Italy began to see just how sketchy this structure was, they started to kind of put their heads together to figure out how do we make sure this thing isn't headed for imminent disaster? So early in the 1900s, uh, people got together and they thought, okay, in order to save this building from collapsing, what we're gonna do is we're gonna drill 361 holes into the foundation of the, of the structure and fill those holes with cement so that it balances out. So that's like early 1900s, didn't work. So late in the 1990s, they actually had to close the Leaning Tower of Pisa from being able to walk in it and do tours because it was, they were so concerned that there actually might be a terrible, terrible disaster. And so they kind of, these architects kind of put their heads together to figure out, okay, how do we fix this, this problem? And instead of them solidifying the current ground that was underneath the leaning side, they actually took ground out or took dirt away from the tall side so that it would balance back up. And that worked a little bit. They were able to open the, the tower back up for visiting and, and going on tours. But if you go to Italy today, not Italy, Texas, but Italy, the country, uh, you can see that, that none of this really fixed the, the ultimate issue. It was an innovative idea. It was a cool idea. Uh, it helped get the thing back open to tourists. But at the end of the day, it was too late. Why is that? Well, because 
of what they built on on the first place. They picked marshy ground to build this structure. It's only 20 meters square by three meters deep to hold 29 million pounds of marble and stone on a swampland. That's where you find the issue. So you need something solid to sustain a heavy structure like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And if the foundation isn't there, the structure is going to crumble. It doesn't matter how ornate the building looks, how smooth the marble might, might be, or how intriguing the ideas might be to revamp the thing and try to flip it back up on its right side, uh, nothing would work because the foundation wasn't there in the first place. And as we think about life more broadly, but specifically as we think about relationships, like this is a principle that, that goes beyond just the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? Jesus would, would say it this way in his teaching ministry. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain fell, rivers rose, winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Jesus is saying the strength of the house is in the foundation of the structure. And when we think about the series that you guys are, are gonna be walking through over the next couple of weeks and that we're kicking off tonight, this series on relationships, I think something that we have to grapple with is the reality that we are dealing with, with life-shaping topics, foundation-building topics. Like how you think about relationships is gonna determine how you approach a relationship, which is gonna determine and has all the capacity in the world to, to build something solid that's gonna stand in the storm or to completely uh, crash and, and leave everything in its wake destroyed. So tonight we're talking about relationships, which is why we're starting to talk about singleness, which is like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is a series about relationships, Graham. Uh, I don't wanna think about singleness. Why are we talking about singleness? How we steward our singleness is gonna pave the way for how we steward our dating relationships and maybe one day marriage. And to get relationships right, we've gotta get singleness right. And in order to get singleness right, we've gotta start with where Jesus started when it comes to building the right foundation. So if you have your Bible or your phone uh, that has an app with a Bible on it, Open up to Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And we'll read it together. I'll give you a chance to, to get there. Matthew chapter 25, or 22, verses 35 through 40. And in this scene, we're gonna see Jesus give what's known as the great commandment. Here's kind of the scene. Verse 35, it says, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him, Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus closes up by saying, all the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commands. So the scene is pretty self-explanatory, but somebody asks a question to kind of test Jesus and says, okay, out of the 600 and some odd commands in the Old Testament, Jesus, which one is the, the best? Which one's the greatest? What's the most important? And Jesus says, love God, love others. The entirety of the Old Testament hangs on these two things. And why is this significant? Because at first glance, it seems like Jesus has, is saying nothing about singleness, dating, relationships, or, or anything that you're gonna be talking about over the next couple of weeks. So why are we starting here? Because I think that what we're gonna find in this passage is that it actually has everything to do with how we should first think about relationships before we approach a, a relationship. Because in this conversation, Jesus is, is talking with this teacher of the law and he's saying the most important thing that you can do, foundation setting, like following Jesus 101 is love God. But then he follows up by saying what's intricately involved in loving God is actually loving other people. So before you go any further in this conversation about love and relationships, with people and dating, I think we've got to start with where Jesus started. And that's with the most important kind of relationship and love that there is. We've got to start with our love for and relationship with our creator. Because if we don't first love God well, or at all, we'll never have the, the accurate picture or the right lens to be able to love people well as we were designed to love them, including people that we uh, might date and marry. And you, you can't give love as defined by Jesus on the cross, unconditional love. You can't give love if you haven't received love. And you can't receive love unless you believe in love. And what I mean by that, what I don't mean by that is believe in love in some sort of abstract, like I just feel I'm gonna believe in love. But I mean believing in love that has come down in a person named Jesus, King of Kings, has lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross for your sins and risen to new life. And when you put your faith, you put your belief, your life into that sort of love, it then informs how you're going to love other people. Everyone, but, but especially when we start to think about relationships. When, when we discover and fall into that kind of love, that's when we can start to wrap our minds around relationships. So why we start there and, and why that's important is because I think it actually centers this conversation on where it needs to be in the first place. It's a conversation about identity before anything else, about our identity as, as people who long to know and truly experience unconditional love. How we approach relationships oftentimes deals with identity before it deals with an interaction that some, of somebody that we're interested in. It deals with the question of like, who am I, period. Not who am I without blank, this person or this relationship or this thing, but who am I in general? What am I longing for? What is the deepest cry of my heart? That, that's the, the questions that we we're getting at here. And that's a question to be quite honest, even apart from this series on relationships, we experience as a part of our everyday life and existence as human beings. But for some reason, when we start to talk about relationships, it comes uh, to the front of our minds even more pressing, who am I? 
And oftentimes maybe in the form of who am I without X person? And why is that? Well, because again, I think deep within our souls, there is this longing to be seen, fully known, fully understood, and yet at the same time, fully loved. We desire relational intimacy. And the good news is this is a a, a good desire. This is how we've been created. It's how we've been designed. We reflect our creator in, in that way because God himself exists in community, a part of his nature. He's always existed as one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which points to this reality that God is a relational God. And part of creating humanity in God's image, he created humanity to reflect his nature. And so we as humans, God has made us to exist in community. The first uh, scene of the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So we were created in God's image, uh, designed with a craving uh, for relational intimacy, reflective of God himself. And just like he's a relational God, we're relational people. We've got this deep longing to be known, to be understood. But the problem enters just a chapter later in, in Genesis chapter three, because after sin has entered the world, we experience this marred ability and capacity to actually reflect the image of God in our relationships as God has intended us. And with that enters a whole host of issues, but chief among them is this uncanny ability as human beings to mix up our loves. And what do I mean by that? Meaning we can easily place the type of love that only God can sustain on another human being, another image bearer. And and the result of that is just more brokenness and disappointment. The apostle Paul writes it this way, says they, speaking about humanity, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator. Another way you could think about it is when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And that's with anything, but especially when we think about putting all of our eggs in another human being, (laughs) like all of our desires wanting to be met by another human being, that is something that is too heavy for that human being to sustain. And so we're consistently let down in relationships. Why is that? Because again, God made us to first exist in community with him. Think about it, if we were created in the image and likeness of God by God, then that means we were created for God. And if we exist for God, then we're only going to find satisfaction for our deepest uh, relational longings and needs when we find rest in the loving arms of our creator who has created us. Augustine said it this way in his famous book, Confessions. He says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So God exists in community. God's made us to exist in community. And yet God has made us to first exist in community with him. And sin has manipulated our desires and our loves so that we often misplace our love for God and we put it on people and we expect them to to respond as only God can and we're let down. That's the short summary of all of human existence, just applied in the area of relationships. 
And all of this starts to make a little bit more sense as we see one of Jesus's final challenges to his disciples when he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain is to wait or to stay or to stand in God's love. It's what we've been talking about, right? Sometimes we make the mistake of ignoring this uh, necessary part of our design. We try to fill the, the spots in our hearts that feel and seem empty with a relationship with another person rather than a relationship with our creator because we're designed to crave relationships. That's a good thing. We're designed to crave that with other people, but a relationship is not your creator. So we've got to put our rest and our hope in God. And that's why Jesus said, love God before he said, love others in his great commandment. This is why we start with Jesus's greatest commandment because the great commandment gets at the deepest longing of our hearts, the, the, the biggest question of our lives, who am I, period. The great commandment gives us identity, it gives us purpose because what it does is it shows us that, man, I'm a person first loved by God and I have the opportunity to respond to that loving God by loving him first and allowing the love that I've experienced in that relationship to inform how I'm gonna love other people. Because if we don't get it right in that order, we won't get relationships right. And this is honestly like my story. The reason this is so important, not just theoretically, but, but like to me personally, is I, as I look back on my years of dating, there's a ton of immaturities that I regret about the way that I saw and thought about and actually dated. And there's, while there's a ton of immaturities that I, that I could call out, perhaps the greatest immaturity that I, that I wish I would have thought more deeply about is I had very, prior to my relationship with Jess in college, I had very minimal relationships that I actually thought deeply about, man, how does this, how can I do this in a way that honors Jesus and keeps him at the center of things? Like the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, I had no foundation for the structure I was selfishly building. And so what resulted from that is brokenness and sinfulness of my own heart and, and uh, destruction. And so a lot of my relationships were selfishly motivated, therefore produced a ton of brokenness and it was a, a cycle. Uh, and I think the, the root issue of that came from my own battle of identity apart, apart from relationships. And I don't think I would have been able to, to, to pinpoint that in the moment, but my lack of knowing who I was apart from a relationship, I'm absolutely sure informed how I thought about something like singleness. It affected how I viewed singleness because my life reflected the belief that I thought singleness was loneliness and therefore get it off the table. I'm out on that. That sounds terrible, honestly. And so I'm gonna look for a relationship. And even if I'm not in one, my, eye, my eyes and my sights are always kind of scanning and, and uh, scheming. And why is this a big deal? Why was it a big deal for me? Because if you match the, the belief that I had that singleness is, is loneliness, with the deep human desire to be seen, known, and fully loved, and you sprinkle some misplaced worship and love as a, as a product of broken humanity, you know what you get with that? A gaping wide hole in your heart. And you know what you do with gaping wide holes in your heart? You fill them. Something. 
And so I filled the hole with pursuit of relationships or uh, people's perception of me or whatever it is. And brokenness ensued from that reality. And so tonight, my, my hope is that we're beginning to paint a bigger picture of what singleness could be for you tonight or moving forward. That, that there would be a bigger picture of singleness than, than the one that I settled for and therefore never experienced because scripture paints a glorious picture of singleness. The apostle Paul was, uh, you know, formerly, a, he, he hated Christianity, um, sought to destroy it, but he meets Jesus on this road, uh, the road to Damascus, and his life drastically changes, and he becomes one of the um, greatest church planters of all of history, and he writes a ton of letters, and a lot of his letters make up what we call the New Testament, and Paul himself was a person who was single. And here's what Paul says about singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. He says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or, or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, here's the key, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That phrase sticks with us. The, the goal of your singleness right now, as Paul would say, uh, when you are flourishing best as you've been designed to in a season of singleness, the goal is undivided devotion. Undivided devotion to who? To Jesus. So, so Paul paints a picture of a type of outlook on singleness that recognizes singleness should not be lonely longing where I'm always scanning every environment in which I'm in and trying to make this move or trying to see what happens there. Lonely, singleness should not be lonely longing, but undivided devotion. And I think honestly that if we truly understood that and we believed it, especially when you think about your current season of life, you're in college, I think you could be a part of a move of God at DMAC that you, you can't even imagine. And I, I'm supposed to say this, right? You're like, yeah, you, yeah, that's what we hear. I know that. But I really believe that when people see somebody your age who is wholeheartedly, undivided, devoted to God, there's something attractive about that. There's something that draws people to that because they say, you have your loves like in order, your life seems like you're reflecting uh, something bigger than, than, than me. And, that, and I wanna be a part of that. It's, it's attractive when you see somebody who's so passionate about Jesus. And I think college students, your age, are the best position in the world to change the world because college students are in this transitional season of, of singleness to potentially marrying. And so you're in college, you're transitioning out from under your parent or your guardian's roof. The, the, your work and life responsibilities are becoming less and less dependent upon that. And yet you still don't have the obligations to a spouse or a family that a, that a married person has. And so with that, you're left with an insane amount of time, with an insane amount of passion and energy, with an insane amount of co commitment level capacity to be a force to be reckoned with in Ankeny, Iowa. 
And that's why the SALT Network exists, right? That's why our family of churches exists because we truly believe that college students can change the world. So when you hear Joe and the team cast a vision that feels kind of crazy, it's because they actually believe it. They believe that you guys can actually leave here. We gather, we get excited. You can leave here and you can go to DMAC and, and make a dent and introduce people to a love that satisfies. We believe that's what this whole, that's what our family of churches are built off of. But the fear is you're gonna blow right past your college years thinking about what this person thought of you and did they like that photo and oh, I think they noticed me and I just gotta get around them or get in that group and uh, you know, going from relationship to relationship and who's next and I, I get it, I did the same thing. And we blow past some of the most defining years of our lives believing that we're lonely in our singleness when undivided devotion is an option at our fingertips. And I think part of that is because we believe this lie that singleness equals incompleteness. Singleness does not equal incompleteness. If you, I mean, if you believe that, maybe you'll, it'll be a self-fulfilled prophecy, but singleness doesn't equal incompleteness no more than marriage equals completeness. Both are lies. Undivided devotion to Jesus equals completeness. And you need that whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're dating, or whether you're married. Everybody's chasing the same thing. This is the call of all Jesus followers. That's how Paul viewed his singleness. That's how he's inviting you to view your singleness. It's an opportunity for wholehearted, radical Jesus-following, kingdom-shaking ministry, a time that you will never get back. It's that time of, that type of devotion to the God of the universe. And here's the truth, because you can blow past the season and, continue to, to always be scanning and always be wanting to go to the next relationship. But here's the deficit is that if you miss out on the devotion you're called to in singleness, you actually won't be prepared for the devotion you're called to in dating and marriage. Because think about it, if you don't order your loves correctly in your season of singleness, meaning pursuing undivided devotion to the Lord first, loving God first, and then allowing that love to transform you so that you can love people properly, including as significant others. Uh, if you don't order those loves now, you will place a love and an adoration and a worship on another human being, and you will never be satisfied. You will expect things from them that they will never be able to give you, and therefore you will be constantly let down. It'll be too heavy for them to bear because the only one who can actually bear that is the one we were created for. The one who can sustain the worship that we long to give because he is worthy. And if you go into a marriage with those loves mixed up, you will be just as let down and discontented in marriage as you were when you were single because your identity became so connected to another person, another fallible human being. And do you know what fallible human beings do? They fall, they let you down. If you get to know me long enough, I will let you down. It's not that I don't love you, but I am just broken as well. And so they, no human being can sustain what we long and what we desire and what we crave. And in singleness, we have this glorious opportunity to order our loves right so that we actually have the opportunity to enjoy at the maximum capacity the gifts of relationships that God gives us so we can worship him first and love him first and then be shaped uh, 
by him as we love other people because we recognize that, man, Jesus fully knows, sees, and loves me. And that is enough. Again, I, I did not do this right. I didn't set my heart, my mind, and my soul on having undivided devotion to Jesus. And it honestly wasn't until I became so exhausted with my fallibility in relationships that before going to college, I was like, I'm out. I, I need a break. <laughs> like, Lord, I wanna get to know you apart. I don't, I don't even wanna think about relationships. And it was in a season where I was just like, Lord, I wanna know you, I wanna know your heart. I wanna get to know your people. That then, when I was in a rhythm of doing that, that's when God introduced Jess to me. Now hear me, that's not a formula. Don't be like, all right, sick, I'm gonna go live in undivided devotion so I can get a spouse. Thanks, Graham. Not what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we don't want this to be a transactional relationship where like, God, I'm gonna live for you so that you can give me a husband or a, or a wife. Like, that's what I'm gonna do. No, we wanna fall in love with Jesus. And as we fall in love with him, maybe we run into somebody else who's already in love with him and it works out. Remember when I was in high school, people used to talk about Bay. <laughs> you guys are here, Bay. Was that any, you, who knows what Bay is? What do we got? Before anyone else. There, there we go. Well, look, that's garbage. God better be your bay, all right? God is, that's literally, Paul is saying, God better be your bay before anything else. Because if you go with that framework into a relationship, again, you will be let down, okay? So undivided devotion is the call. That is the call in singleness, and it's a beautiful gift. And some people have it until they're 18 or 20, and some people have their entire lives, but, but it's a gift. And Paul says himself, as somebody who had it his entire life, he says, I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So if you're not married tonight and you're single, and you were to survey your heart right now, just kind of ask yourself like, where are my loves? My love for a person, the foundation that I've built my life on, or my need for their love for me. Ask yourself, am I fully devoted to King Jesus or is he just another trophy that sits on a cool wall, but ultimately relationships are the things that guide and steer your heart and steer what you do and the decisions that you make. It's a good time to ask yourself, am I, am I fully devoted to God? Is he the source of my identity? Because remember, relationships deal with identity before they deal with interaction with another human being. They get to the question of who am I? We crave intimacy. This, this ability to be seen, to be known, and, and yet at the same time to be loved unconditionally. And the beautiful thing about that is that we were created with that desire and yet brokenness and sin has scarred that and so it's put everything kind of out of whack. And so we search and we search for something that will satisfy and give us the answer. Please give me the answer. Who am I? Is it in connection with them or them or doing this thing? And we believe the, the lie, subtle lie, that a relationship with another person holds that answer and it just doesn't. And it's the Sunday school answer, only Jesus does. So singleness is not incompleteness. Again, no more than, as a married person, if I expect marriage to complete me, then good luck, Jess. Because <laughs> that, that'll be a super dysfunctional marriage. So marriage, doesn't, marriage isn't the goal. Marriage doesn't complete you. 
Undivided devotion to Jesus is the goal, whatever season of life you're in. Maybe you're dating, maybe you're single, maybe you're engaged or you're married. The good news in all of this is that even when we struggle to have undivided devotion to Jesus, he's already exhibited unconditional love to you. He wasn't sitting in heaven thinking, you know what, when they get undivided devotion right, that's when I'll come and save them. We didn't have it right in the first place. We can't order our loves. We don't know how to do it. But what Jesus says is, is give me your heart, put your life into my hands, and let me order those myself. Because we believe that Jesus was a real person who actually claimed to be God. And that would be wild if he didn't rise from the dead. We believe that when you read this word and you hear the accounts of people who said, I walked with this dude, left him, because he was saying some crazy stuff and got killed for it, but now I see that he is Lord of Lords, King of the universe. You have people who have given their lives for this message give their lives into Jesus's hands so that he might order their loves correctly so that they might recognize the love that's been poured out for you and all of your brokenness, even when your loves are divided, even when you don't have undivided devotion, Jesus has died for that reality, has died for that brokenness in you. And he extends his hands, which have scars in it from dying for you and says, follow me. Just trust your heart to me for once and I will show you that I can satisfy the, the longing and the desire that you have that you continuously let uh, the outlet of relationships try to fuel you, you know that just tastes like sugar upon sugar upon sugar and your stomach feels sick after. It's like, just give me your life. And when we do that, we find home, we find rest in our souls. And so that'd be something I would ask for you to contemplate. Am I fully devoted to God? And if not, do I recognize that he's been fully devoted to me and unconditionally pouring out his life and rising from the dead so that I might have new life. And if, that's, if you have questions about that or you, you, uh, your brain is spinning, man, talk with somebody you came with, find Joe, find one of the staff members. They'd love to, to talk you through what Jesus truly has done for you that no other human being nor yourself could do. Would you pray with me as we close up tonight? God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that uh, you have shown unconditional love when we struggle to show undivided devotion. For those who do not know you, may they taste and see that your love is better than anything that anyone could ever give us on this earth. You are the creator. You have made us for yourselves. And for those who need to hear it tonight, you say, come home. Come back to me. So God, I pray that we would have people returning to their creator, resting their hearts uh, into your hands, knowing that they've been loved and called and, and it transforms everything about them. We love you, Lord. So you know we pray, amen.